0: Welcome to the podcast from St. Coleman Catholic Church in Pompano Beach. We're so glad you're listening to the show. And Father Michael has been exploring the Gospel of Matthew over these many weeks. And today we're up to chapter 14. And we're going to learn about the tragic death of John the Baptist and the incredible miracle of Jesus walking on water. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Know Your Faith. And today we'll be covering Matthew chapter 14. So to recap... Jesus had just finished saying all these parables as he's traveling west from Capernaum alongside the Sea of Galilee. And so we're continuing from there. Chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. So what's interesting here is that Matthew decides to put a break, right, between Jesus saying the parables, and now he inserts this story of what happened to John the Baptist. I'm going to break this down because there's a lot going on here. We have Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, his father. And Herod the Great had many children. In fact, he had many women that he had children with. And in this case, we're talking about Herod Antipas. Now, Herod the Great divided his kingdom into several sections. In fact, Herod Antipas, the one that we're speaking of here, was in charge of the northern part of what used to be Herod's kingdom. And this northern part is Galilee, which is the place where Jesus lives and spent most of his ministry. The place where this, as a matter of fact, all takes place. Then you have Archelaus. Archelaus was put in charge of the southern part of the kingdom, which is the capital uh, of Jerusalem. Archelaus will eventually be deposed by the Roman Empire because he did a horrible job in running uh, the southern section, especially with all the uprisings of the Zealots. And instead, they put in place an official from the Roman government, whom you will know or you know already is Pontius Pilate. The other one is less significant. The other one is uh, by the Transjordan over at the east side, and that is Philip the uh, first. And then, or was it Philip the second? Oh, well, not important. It's one of the Philips. And then you have uh, an, other siblings, but the half siblings. And in this case, the one that Herod Antipas is being accused of having an affair with is from his half brother who is also known as Philip, but uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian of that time, actually calls him Herod II. So whether it's a Philip or Herod the 2nd doesn't matter, Is still uh, wrong, because uh, Herod Antipas actually left his first wife and stole the wife of his half-brother, and under Jewish law, you can find this in the book of Leviticus, under Jewish law, you can only marry your brother's wife if your brother has died. In this case, Herod's brother, Herod II, is still alive. So we see that uh, he's being accused by John the Baptist of sinning. So as you continue, we see that Herod Antipas decided to throw this really big party. And in front of all his guests, he was so impressed by his niece's dancing, which, by the way, was probably a very sensual dance, that he promised her... Anything that she wanted. And so what did she do? She went to her mother. And her mother, because of the shame that John the Baptist kept pointing out that she was with Herod Antipas uh, illegally under Jewish law, she commanded her daughter to go and uh, take, of course, uh, to have John the Baptist executed, to have him beheaded and to bring his head on a platter. Now, of course, we see that Herod felt some remorse. He did not want to kill John the Baptist. In fact, he was rather amused by John the Baptist and what he had to say. But we see that because of peer pressure, and uh, because he made such a public spectacle of promising uh, his niece that he would uh, give her anything that she wanted, that she asked for, he went ahead with it uh, out of fear of what his uh, attendees might be thinking. And so we see that uh, he, of course, had John the Baptist beheaded. Uh, of course, you know, it's always interesting how, you know, peer pressure tends to make us fall into things that we oftentimes don't want to do. Now, after this story ends, we see that his, John the Baptist's disciples take the body of john the baptist and bury it and matthew ends the story there and it's interesting that it has really it's kind of wedged into this uh this story of of you know the, the part of jesus going around the shore of galilee and telling his parables and then transitioning as we'll see now into the feeding of the five thousand. but it's very interesting that he decides to wedge what happened to john the baptist at this particular time so now we're continuing with verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, meaning heard the, the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he went ashore, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a lonely place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, of course, it's a ridiculous notion that Jesus is going to ask his disciples to feed 5,000 people, and that probably doesn't include the women and children. But, of course, Jesus is testing their faith because up until this point, They've been journeying with him, and they've been seeing the miracles that Jesus had been performing. So they wanted to see how much faith do they actually place in Jesus. So obviously he challenges them to feed them themselves. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, I love this because this is an obvious precursor to the Last Supper. Even the language that is used is very similar to that that Paul uses when he describes the, uh, the words of, of the Eucharist, of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. We see that the word that is used to break is in the singular he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, exactly as it was said during the Last Supper when Christ instituted the Eucharist. So we see here that Jesus is feeding them physically, but it is a precursor to the way he's going to feed them spiritually. Very interesting stuff here. The way that, you know, the words are chosen very, very carefully by the gospel writer, by the evangelist even the way in which he looked up to heaven to bless the bread. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And of course, the 12 baskets is a very clear reference to the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning that Jesus here is feeding all of God's chosen people. I don't think the, the number 12 is shown here by mistake. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So obviously, we don't know exactly how many were fed, but they were definitely 5,000 men, and that does not include the women and children, so it's got to be thousands. Verse 22, now we see that Matthew is shifting again. We have another pericope, another story within the story. Then he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beating by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately he spoke to them, saying, "Take heart; it is I. Have no fear." Before I continue, I'm going to break down this paragraph a bit because there's a lot also to be discussed here. Under Jewish folklore or, or Jewish myth, they believed that the waters were the source of chaos. In fact, they believed that many demons or and even spirits hovered over the waters. Uh, in fact, they believe that a lot of the evils of the world emerged from the waters, and so when they saw this man walking on water, they thought that this was one of those spirits. This was a spirit, a ghost, right? In fact, the word ghost just comes from the from the German Geist, which comes from the you know later the, the Latin before that uh, spiritus, uh, spirit. Uh, so we see that they think that it's it's a ghost which wouldn't be different from the, the myths and stuff that they believed at the time. And so, they, as the, the figure walks close to them, we see that it is Jesus. Now, this is very significant because only God can control the chaos of the waters. Only God has control even over the demons, the evil spirits. And so, what Jesus is signifying here by walking on water is that he has total command even over nature over the cosmos over creation so jesus is by default by ipso facto is god because only god can do these things verse 28 and peter answered him lord if it is you bid me come to you on the water he said come Obviously, Peter began to sink only when his gaze drifted away from the Lord. Isn't that the way it always is, huh? We always tend to sink when we don't keep our gaze on the Lord. And so we see that uh, they achieved a greater understanding of who Jesus is to the point where they worshipped him and they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. We're now at verse thirty four. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Now Gennesaret is just a small town just west of Capernaum. And remember Capernaum is the home base for all of Jesus' ministry. So just it's about a, a day's walk, maybe less, just west of Capernaum. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent round to all that region and brought to him all who that were sick, and begged him that they might only touched the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Well, that uh, ends Matthew chapter 14. I hope you enjoyed it, and stay tuned next time for Matthew chapter 15. God bless.